truth. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can. I'm a believer and not a doubter. I'm a doer, not just a hearer. I'm humble before the Lord. I'm obedient to the Lord. I am mature in the Lord. I'm enthusiastic about the Lord. I know that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. Our scripture text comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. If you have an app on your phone, you can look for it there. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'll read into your hearing verse 16 through 19 uh, from the New Living Translation. And the Bible says this, and if there is no resurrection, somebody say no resurrection. Say it like you mean it, no resurrection. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. If, condition, no resurrection, if it didn't happen, then that means he has not been. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless. And you are still guilty of your sin. So whatever you were doing before you came here, before you gave your life to the Lord, if he didn't get up, you're still guilty. Whatever fornication you did before Jesus, whatever stealing, lying, cheating, whatever, whatever backbiting, whatever, if he didn't get up, you still, but if he got up, that means you've been set it's a matter of choice how you're going to live. Are you going to live like he's still dead? Or are you going to live like you've been set? If you're not guilty, you ought to live like you. Let me get on into this. And in that case, all, somebody say all. All who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope, somebody say hope. If our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more pitied than anyone in the world. Wow. I'm going to explain that in a minute. Y'all got to get that. If our hope in Christ is only for this life, what you can see, touch, feel, smell, smell, this life, if that's all you putting your hope on, this life, you're a pitiful person. Because you done gave up a lot to put your hope in something that's not real. If our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are to be pitied more than anyone in the So that pastor said, now some Christ Christians who may be the most Pitiful folk. Y'all may be seated. I'll tell you why in a minute. Let me first say thanks to all the ministers who have stood in the gap for the, I think it's been over two months, man. I tried to figure it out, and my life has been so hectic in the last two months that uh, I can't even remember the last time I was up here, but I think it was in January or sometime. But uh, I want to just thank them for, for standing in the gap and continue to bring God's word word forth with power and authority uh, in my absence. I thank all of those who uh, showed your love and support to me during that, this terrible time that I've uh, been going through. 
But uh, through it all, you know, I learned to trust in Jesus. And, and so uh, I'm okay doing what I need to do. Uh, for those of you just, I said the other night, I'm a kind of guy that kind of handle uh, grief and stuff in a compartmentalized way. So, so you, you know, just because I may not always look like I'm going through something, I just put stuff in a compartment and don't, want, don't deal with it until I want to deal with it. And, and because I just can't live my life dealing with it every day. And so I just kind of compartmentalize some things. And sometimes that can come across like, you know, you know he's kind of you know, anatomical or whatever that word is and stuff like that. No, I still feel things. But I just don't try to get caught up in my feelings all the time. Because it could take me to a place I know that I don't want to, to go. Amen? Now, now, on this Resurrection Sunday, I, I just want to speak to you from the thought. The resurrection, our hope. Somebody say hope. Now, you know, we've always said and we told you that hope is always based on a future expectation. So I want to spend a couple minutes talking to you about expectations. Then I'll give you a little summary of Jesus' week before the cross. And then we're going to come back to this text and kind of make it make some sense to you. Amen? You know, if we believe that hope is based on a future expectation, then it's under, important for us to understand what expectation means. See, expectation is the object of hope. Expectation means that you look forward to something. And, and what happens is you have to look forward to that with the anticipation that it's really going to happen. Because if you don't look forward to your expectation as if they're really going to happen, then you're going to be disturbed when some things that you want to see happen don't happen. Because we expect for certain things don't mean that they're going to automatically appear. There are some things that we have to do in order to see certain expectations fulfilled. Now, now because we are people of faith, our lives should be based on our expectation that we have that Jesus is coming back. But before he comes back, we have to have, hold on to the expectation that he rose from the dead, which gives us hope to believe that he is coming back. Now, when I talk about expectation, I want you to see that in your life, you ought to have expectations for how you're going to grow spiritually. I mean, you came here today on Resurrection Sunday. You ought to have come with an expect. You ought to be expecting God to say something to you. To see something in the dance or the song or the word that's going to be read or explained, expounded on, you ought to have an expectation. You shouldn't just walk in here and walk out and don't expect nothing because someone once wrote a quote. The man who expects nothing in life will get what he expects. So you're going to have to go through life instilling this expectation, not only in yourself, but in people around you. If you're married, you ought to have an expectation for your marriage. How it's going to thrive, how you're going to live together for, if you don't expect it to last forever, it won't. Because if you don't expect it, you'll live like you don't intend for it to last. You ought to have an expectation when it comes to you being successful, you being prosperous. It don't just happen overnight. You got to expect and believe that if I follow God's instruction, I'm going to be successful at what I do. I if you have a have children, you ought to have an expectation for them. 
They ought to know what you expect of them because they are your children. You've laid it out to them. So therefore, you know what you're looking for and they know what you are expecting. You know, when it comes to your health, you ought to have an ex. Everything that jump around shouldn't jump on you. You shouldn't walk around to expect to be sick all the time. You ought to walk around believing you can walk in health. You got to have that ex. When it comes to your finances, you ought to have an expectation. You know, you may have started off with zeros in your account, but you ought to expect one day to have something in that account. But to get something in there is not going to happen all because you had this mental drill in your head about expecting it. You're going to have to do something to make it. What I just said is this. Expectations don't always just happen. It requires two things. I want you to remember these two words. Abstraction and absorption. If you're going to reach some of your goals and things you expect, you're going to have to abstract some things from you. Abstraction, you got to take away anything that's going to keep you from believing that what you're expecting won't happen. Anything that's going to come against you to cause you not to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, you got you to extract that thing, abstract that thing from your life. Anything that's going to keep your marriage from being successful, and if it's not working to your good, you got to... Because your marriage ain't going to change just because you expect it to change. It's going to change because you have... Then on the other side of that is absorption. You got to absorb something. In other words, you got to take a great interest in the things that you expect to happen. You know, you got to engross your mind with it. You got to think about it. In other words, if your marriage is jacked up and you ain't thinking about it, it ain't going to get no better. If your children is cutting the food and you ain't thinking about how you're going to deal with them and help them, ain't going to get no and so if the Lord show you, you got to abstract some things from their lives, and then now you can start thinking how they're going to turn out because you have made those adjustments. So if you want to see some things come to pass that we're expecting, you're going to have to abstract and absorb. Amen? Now, this week of the resurrection, in the Christian faith, Resurrection Sunday is it. It's it. This is it. If this is not true, then everything else we're doing don't mean nothing. Our hope is in the resurrection. So we celebrate our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Yes, we celebrate all the other things he did, but this day we celebrate the resurrection. The resurrection was the culmination of the most powerful and passionate week in Jesus' life and ministry. And before I go back to Corinthians, I just want to kind of give you a snapshot of some of the things that happened during that week. And you know, you Bible scholars ought to be able to follow me with this, but I'm not going to get deep in any of them, but I'm just going to touch on them and kind of just let you see what he went through and what happened during that week. First, I think someone mentioned last week that was what we call the triumphal entry. You know, when he entered into Jerusalem riding on the donkey's coat, and all the people was praising, Hosanna, Hosanna. 
you know, which means come and save us now. And they started laying their clothes down in his way, laying palm branches down the way. They was treating him like a king because they had an ex... And some of them had misguided expectations because they was looking for a physical savior that was going to come and deliver them from the Romans. So therefore, when their expectations were not met, some of these same folk that was crying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Less than six days later, Cliff, they was hired, falling and crucified. So what I want you to get out of that is everybody that prays you coming in may not praise you six days. There's some people that are laughing child with you right now, but sometimes your same folk will say crucify. Because maybe you're not living up to that. That was that triumphal entry, man. You would have thought that that would have been it, that everybody would have been on board. The king has arrived. But he was coming to let them know that his job was to save their soul. He wanted to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords when it comes to their salvation and their eternal life. He didn't come to get rid of the Romans. That was their issue. He came to save their soul. But those who wanted a physical deliverance from the Romans were somewhat distant. Then the next thing that happened during the week, you know, and these are not in any chronological order, I just picked some of the high things. He went in and cleansed the temple, Cliff. You know, church folk, a wannabe church folk, was robbing folk. People come to buy some doves and get a little sacrifice. They done jacked the price up. I'm kind of like gas right now. You know, there's some people, I was out in Las Vegas last week, gas, it, it hurt me, $5.50-something for gas. And I said, some of these guys just taking advantage. They done. We need Jesus to come back and get some of these gas guys and say, look here, y'all done, y'all done jacked the price too high. <laughs> I've been living six, eight years, and I ain't never paid almost $6 for you. on the gas. So these folks had these little doves out there, and they was going for, at one time, maybe $2 a dove. Now, because I got a captive audience, I flew out on a legion, they had me captive. And they thought I was going to pay $4 for a bag of potato chips. <laughs> I was a captive audience. You know, I had no, if I wanted them chips, I would have had And I would say, man, they robbing me. Yeah. And these people come back looking for doves, Cliff, and thought they were going to get them for $2. Now you got some folks out there in the church selling them for $5 when they was only worth $2. Jesus had a problem with that. He kind of got righteous and indignant at the same time. So I'm trying to tell you today, every now and then, you can have your moments of indignation if you're doing it in accordance with the word. So the Bible says he went in, and some translators say, you know, he kind of whipped up on. But at the end of the day, he cleaned the temple out and said, hey, you know, my house is supposed to be a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of thieves in the church. You know, I read Christian newspapers all the time, and you know, sometimes Christian newspapers read just like Fox, CNN, and all the rest of them. Christian headlines, school master, put in jail for being cruel to juveniles. In the church, Jesus needs to come back, clean that up. Rampant abuse. You know, there's one big church now, in all these little churches, preachers quitting. Because they've been out there cutting the... Jesus needs to come back. Clean up the house. 
I was reading that was a major denomination who's been sued because their whole retirement fund is gone. That means somebody in the church, you don't have to be on Wall Street to rob people. You, oh, Jesse, you know what denomination I'm talking about. You could be in the, and get robbed. Now, I'm just recapping Jesus' week. These are things that happened during his week. And he, therefore, went in and turned over some tables and spanked some folk, told them to get out of God's. That's going to be a reckoning. I'm going to keep reading the Christian news because I'm going to see that something's going to happen. God ain't going to just let folk keep taking advantage of his name and, you know, bringing dishonor to him and, and let it go. Something's going to happen. So Jesus dealt with that situation. Then he started healing the sick and the lame and the blind. And when he started doing that, people started praising him. And when they started praising him, the religious leaders, instead of celebrating him, got mad. And they started plotting how they were going to kill him. During the course of that week, Jesus taught some of his most profound and powerful parables. He taught the parable of the ten virgins. You know the story. Five of them was wise. Five of them was foolish. And, 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 and what he was trying to get us to see in that parable is that we must live in a state of ready. We got to be ready and waiting for his return. And so therefore, he's saying now there are going to be some people who ain't going to be ready, and when I show up, all of a sudden, they're going to try to, and they're going to try to come to you to help them when you're going to have to tell them you should have made preparation in advance because you should have been ex in return. You know, so therefore, you know, it's like a hurricane is coming, and they told you, you ought to be ex you don't wait till it gets 30 miles out the side, you're going to get some gas. And then now get mad because I got five cans in the garage filled and you want some of my gas. I'm going to say, you know, you knew the storm was coming. What I got is for my house. You should have got yours before he came back and knocked. I'm not in, in a real analogy. If I had five cans, I may sprout you one. But depend on, it, it depends on how long they say the power was going to be out and the gas was going to be down. But, but if they say a couple of days, I may sprout you one. But I'm also telling you, you should have been. And that's what Jesus is trying to get us to see. He's coming back. We don't know when or we don't know the day, but we ought to live with anticipation and expecting him to come back so that we should be. He taught the parable of the, the wedding feast, you know, and, and the wedding feast was taught to show us that all mankind will receive the call of salvation. The first invitation went out to the Jews, but, you know, they came up with excuses. Then all of them didn't show. He said, okay, now go out into the highways and byways and find anybody that want to come because I want everybody to come to my wedding. So, therefore, we got in because some folks didn't show you know how it is, Cliff? You got something, you give them months in advance, and they're supposed to RSVP? And they RSVP and check, yes, I will be there. And then you done prepared, got the caterer, got all this stuff, and you look for them, and they are not. How do you feel about those folks like that? You know, you done planned. You, you, you know you got everything counted out. 
you done paid $150 a plate for these folks, and then now all of a sudden it's game day, game time. Oh, I forgot I got something to do. What? I sent you an invitation six months ago. You should have put this on your calendar, in your phone, in the cloud. You should have put it everywhere. You should have gave yourself some reminder. And now all of a sudden, you don't come. Guess what? I'm going to go out there and get someone who didn't even get an invitation. And they're going to take your... I'm glad some people didn't come and we got in. Amen. Then he talked the parables about the talents. You know, the talents, you know, let us know that God has given each and every one of us abilities, things that we can do. And he expects us to use those talents to bring him glory. When you come to the church, don't come saying, I, I got to learn how to do something. No, no, no. You already know how to do something. You just need to learn how to start. He has already given you the ability to do what needs to be done, and you can do it if you just put your mind to it. Jesus boldly called out the hypocrisy of the scribes and Pharisees. You can see that in Matthew 23. I won't go through all that, but you know, when you call out the big wigs, you're going to make them mad. I mean, so he called them out, said some things about them they didn't like, but he still told the people, hey, watch them and observe the things they tell you to do. They're going to tell you what's right. They just ain't going to do it. So when they finish preaching, don't watch them. But long as they preach it, even though they may be a bad preacher, he's going to give you a nugget that may be able to save your... But when he come off the stage, don't watch his life. Because his life may not live, be lived in accordance with what he just said. So therefore, Jesus called them out for that hypocrisy, and that made them want to kill him even more. Jesus watched his disciples during that week, disciples' feet during that week, teaching us this powerful example of humility and how important humility is to God. He celebrated the Passover, commemorating when God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt. The death angel passed over. So they were celebrating the Passover, but at that time he instituted the Lord's Supper, which commemorates his suffering and sacrifice that he would make for each and every one of us. Then there was that antagonizing and, and agonizing and anxiety-filled prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. So I dropped by to tell some of y'all today, if you experience some anxiety in your life, you in good company. Jesus had a little anxiety when it was time for him to die. You know, he went back to the Father three times for the same thing. Take this cup from me. If it be possible, take this cup from me. Crying to some parts of the Bible say his sweat was like blood. So he was agonizing. He was full of anxiety. And so sometimes, Christian, I drop by to tell you, it ain't nothing wrong every now and then when you experience some anxiety because you have uncertainty in your life. But at the end of all of your anxiety, you got to do the same things Jesus did. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. So no matter where I'm at, what I'm going through, God, never the, because if it was up to me, I'd take this cup away from me. I don't want this cup, but never, 
Everybody needs to have a nevertheless moment in their life where they come to the realization that God's will is better than your will. Then came the betrayal. You know the interesting thing about betrayal? Finley, folks that don't really know you can't betray you. You know, when Jesus met his betrayer, he called him that ought to let you know your friends better be ride or die. Because if they're not ride or die, they may be. See, only people who know me and know some of the intimate parts of my life can betray me. If I ain't told you nothing that much about me, you can't say nothing that's going to be. So therefore, what I'm trying to say to you is that the people that can hurt you most are the ones that's closest. And in that case, you got to be very careful who you let get that close. But he called him friend. So he's put, after he was portrayed, turned over, put on trial for something that he didn't do. You know the funny thing about that? He had an opportunity to be set free. But some of them same folks, Finley, that was praising him, when they had the opportunity to tell Pilate, let him go. They said, give us the thief and the murderer. Give us the insurrectionist. We don't want him. We want that guy. So how in the world can you praise me when I'm coming to town? Hosanna, Hosanna. And now that you got a chance to let me off, you choose a criminal. The choices that you make will determine who you are in life. You got to make in your, in your mind who you're going to choose. Are you going to choose your criminal life or are you going to choose Jesus? Life is about, and these same people made a choice, and they made a choice to get the criminal off, but let Jesus be crucified. Then came the shame for mocking. You know what it is to be mocked. People talk about you. I don't think many of us know what unmerciful beating is like. The closest thing was when we was coming up back in the old days, Latham, before, you know, child services. <laughs> you know, when I was a little boy, they didn't call it unmerciful, but by today's definition, some of the beatings we got would have been un unmerciful. You know, now we negotiate. We don't, we, don't, we, don't, we don't discipline children. We negotiate with them. So we negotiate. I wish granddad had a negotiated with me, man. But, you know, I came out all right. I, I'm not scarred. I, I, I don't want to go out there and be a serial killer all because one day granddaddy, you know, granddaddy just found whatever he could find. He didn't have time to go cut down a switch off the tree, but he found an extension cord and, and got into me. Left marks everywhere. Yeah. Nobody protected me better. <laughs> Nobody told me that, you know, he done ruined my life forever. But now they tell a child, because you spanked their little behind one time, oh, you scarred forever. Who told them that? One, what the? I got knitting. I came out all right. I ain't up in jail. I ain't got no criminal record. I was able to get in the military, so, you know. And I'm all right. 
six to eight years later, I'm off. Now, I'm not advocating any of y'all to go out there and, you know, take care of your children, but I, but, but I am advocating you got to do more than just negotiate. Four-year-olds don't know nothing about no negotiate. They negotiate from one side, theirs. You, you, you lose it. <laughs> y'all don't want to hear, y'all didn't come for the, y'all was coming to hear the resurrection. I'm just trying to help somebody right here because, because you know, we got to understand that Jesus went through a lot. Then came the dreadful crucifixion where he died on the cross. We already saw that. It played out on Friday night. But then he was buried. Some said he was buried in a borrowed grave. I think, Fabian, you talked about that a little bit on Friday night. Some of the old just said, you know, he know he ain't going to be there long. So why go pay in full for something that you're only going to need for a little time? You know, like them, uh, Airbnb, what they call them now. You know, ain't no need you paying for the whole thing all the time. You're just going to be there for a weekend. He wasn't going to be there for three days. He didn't need to go buy a house in Malibu. He can just rent one for three days because he know I got work to do on the third day. And so what you got to understand is that all those things played a part in Jesus getting to this point where we celebrate him today and call it Resurrection Sunday. Now, why is that important? That's important because when Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthian church, there were some in the Corinthian church who could not wrap their mind around this concept called resurrection. They had a hard time believing that energy, spirit, can die and then get... Some people that go to church today have a hard time believing that. And so what I'm trying to tell you, when you have a hard time believing that, you got to abstract anything that comes in your mind that causes you to doubt that. Then you got to start flooding your mind with whatever it is that you think that would allow you to have the hope and the faith to believe something that's hard for you to wrap around with your natural. So there were some Corinthians, probably like some of the people sitting in this church, that we come to church and talk about Resurrection Sunday, but in your mind, do you really grasp, do you really get it in your spirit, the magnitude of what happened when Jesus got up from the... That separated him from Buddha and Muhammad and all, and all them other folks. That separated him because they still dead and in the grave. That separate. That's why people went out of their way to say, somebody must have stole his body. That's why they told him. I think somebody said the other night, baby, put a guard at the tomb because they're going to try to steal his body. And then when he wasn't there, they still said it. And so there are some people who were out walking around believing fake news. Y'all, none of y'all here believe fake news, but fake news seems to be running rampant right now. And so there's some fake news going around to say, well, you know, he didn't really get up. You know, it was late. Somebody came and stole the body. Then they hid it, so everybody would think that he was still. But the Bible say he got up. Witnesses say he got up. You didn't see it, but you got to believe he got up. And if you can't believe he got up, then you don't even need to call yourself a Christian. Christianity, everything hinges on that. You're just a good person. You could be a good person without being a Christian. Amen. But when you say that you're a Christian, you have to buy into this thing. 
That's why all over the world, churches, even churches that don't fellowship together, they all recognize, Christian churches recognize that he got up. That's a foundational principle that the religion is built on. And so therefore, if it's built on that, we can't let someone talk it out of us. Because if you can talk me out of the resurrection, then you're going to cause my hope to wane. You're going to cause my faith now to be diminished because I'm believing in something that is not going to happen. Y'all following me so far? Let's go back to 1 Corinthians. Let me try to read this real quick. I ain't going to be real quick, but I'm going to try to be as quick as I can. I'm reading 15, 12 through 22. So y'all get ready to learn something. I don't say it a lot, but I hope the Lord is going to reveal something to you. Let's look at this, starting in verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12 says, But tell me this, since we preach about Christ, that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there it will be no resurrection from the dead? If I'm preaching that to you, and you say you're believing that in here, then how can you walk out of here, and when someone asks you, you say, I ain't sure about this resurrection from the dead. Yeah, I understand his birth. I can kind of wrap my mind around baby being born. Have a hard time believing that the Holy Spirit did it, but since he showed up and everybody agreed that he did walk the earth, I can believe that. I can believe that he healed some folk because he wasn't the only healer walking the earth during that time. I can believe that. I can believe he was a great man and had wisdom because there were other great minds out there at that time. But now when we talk about the resurrection from the some of you probably in here have a hard time with that. Have a hard time with it. And if you have a hard time with it, guess what? That's why he said that you're pitiful. Because you one day going to be so mad because you're going to feel like, I gave up all that. I stopped doing this. I did that. I did that. I gave up all that. And there was no rather. I should have kept on doing whatever it was. That way ain't talking about that. You know, that way ain't talking about that. I should have kept on doing it. Everybody else was doing it, but I gave it up because I believe that Jesus is a risen. And now you telling me it ain't true? Huh. I look over there at some of my friends who still doing. I want to go back. But on the inside holding me, I'm just pitiful. <laughs> but if I believe in the, I don't care what they're doing over there. Because I am living beyond over there. My mind is somewhere. When you start thinking resurrection, you got to get your mind off earth and start thinking above. Now look at this. Verse 13, he says, for if there is no resurrection, somebody say no resurrection, no resurrection from the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all, somebody say all, then all our preaching is useless. And your faith is useless. In other words, for 25 years, I've been telling y'all lies, getting y'all to believe that this Jesus is real, you know, stop doing this. You got to stop all this. Get the sin out your life. I mean, just lie. Just lie. 
I should have told y'all just eat, drink, and be merry. Just have a good time. Because in the end, you're all going to die. That's certain. <laughs> y'all can believe that. Y'all can accept that because that's a reality that we can embrace. But if you're going to embrace the resurrection, you got to have a hope beyond the grave. If all you see in this life is the grave, then you don't need to be here. You need to just go out there and live however you want. But if you see something be... And in order to see something beyond the grave, you ain't going to get there in the natural mind. You're going to have to start adopting some things in your spirit that is based upon the truth of God's word. He said, so now, have I been lying for 25 years? Can I get a witness and say no or something? Let me know something. I need to know I ain't been lying for 25 years, Cliff. You know, you, Wayne that was up here the other night talking about, you know, it is finished. He lied. It ain't finished. It's still going on. Gloria up here talking about paradise. Today you're going to be with me in paradise. No, she lied. Ain't no paradise. Who told her that it was going to? You know, it's easier for someone to believe what I just said than it is to believe that there's going to be a resurrection. That's why Paul had to say this to this church of Corinth, because the Corinthian church was a church that had a lot of classes in it. They had people with money, people without money, and they were a very church that was very worldly when they got saved. They were off into a lot of sensual things, and they were doing crazy things. And so he was trying to say, man, if y'all done gave up some of that crazy, and all of a sudden I've been lying to you for 25 years, and you look back at some of your friends who's still doing the crazy, and then now you sitting here under me wishing you could do a little crazy? He said, you pitiful. Because all you is living for is right here and you got to live beyond the here and now. Y'all with me so far? He said, now look, in verse 13, and we apostles will all be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless. And look at this. You are still guilty, Cliff. All that stuff that you thought that Jesus took off of you, the guilt, the shame, is still on you. You're still guilty. And see, what you got to see, liberation is saying, I realized that I had a lot of guilt, I had a lot of shame, I had a lot of sin, but because I believe in the resurrection, I don't walk around like I'm still. So therefore, my past and what people know about it don't control my future and where I am right now. So therefore, when I allow people to still hold my past against me and what I did yesterday, last year, 10 years ago, then I'm still living as if there is no... He died to free me up from yesterday. He died to free me up from what I did 20 years ago. He died to set me free from all the junk that I brought into the kingdom. He died, so therefore, I can't come into freedom and still live like I'm bound by what I did before I got set free. If there is no resurrection, so because I believe in the resurrection, my past no longer hinder me. The things I've done in the past don't keep me from going where God wants me to go in the future. So many people who had a potential to be great, but for some person realized one thing, that's why I'm a politician, just one article that come out about day, and all of a sudden I got to withdraw my campaign. You knew it was there before you started. 
You should have just told them about it up front and got free so when they find you, you can say, hey, I already told you that. My slate is clean because I believe that the Lord done forgave me for my sin. So therefore, because you know it, they're going to put it in the newspaper, go for it. You ain't going to have me running and ducking and hide. I done already told you everything you need to know about me. Sometimes you just got to be freed up from all the stuff that you bring to the kingdom of God, but you got to know that he died so that you could be. He didn't die so that you could stay in bondage to what you used to be and what you used to do. He died so that you could use what you used to do and what you used to be as a testimony to help somebody because you ain't the only one that used to do it. Stop living like Jesus is still in the tomb. Start living like you're free and that you're not, no longer guilty of your sins. And look at this. In verse 18, he says, in that case, if there's no resurrection, you're still caught up in our sin, then all who have died believing in Christ are lost. Now that hit me hard. Because in the last two or three months, I done lost some folk who died saying they were believing in the Lord and in the resurrection. And if that ain't true, then they will just die in vain with no hope. They died with no hope, no expectation of there being a resurrection. So therefore, that's why it's important for us to understand and believe that there is going to be a resurrection because you're going to die whether you believe it. But it's a difference between when you die in hope and when you die in hope Hopeless. So we're going to die in expecting and believing that there will be a resurrection. Because we don't believe our loved ones who've gone on before us died in they died believing in Jesus. So therefore I don't believe Jesus lied to them. I don't believe he's lying to us. And I believe that the word of God is true. So therefore, they were not lost. And this is verse 19, the one I read to you with the word hope in it. Look at this. He says, and if our hope in Christ is only for this life, Cliff, this life, what you can see now, everything in our surroundings, all the things that's visible, if all you hoping for is what you can see, and you sitting here on a Sunday morning hoping for what you can see, don't you realize you can get most of what you see without even coming there are people out there who getting what you see don't even go to church. They don't need the same level of hope that you got because they getting things that they can. And now you putting all your hope on something that you can see. When I'm here trying to tell you, you got to put your hope beyond what you can see and put your hope in things that you can't see, things that are easy. Hope for more money. Hope for a bigger house. But look here, don't... Don't let that cause you not to hope for eternity. Because there are some people out there who are going to have a bigger house than you that don't pray, don't fast, don't even celebrate Easter. They just got a better job. They don't have to pray, but they just got a better job or they're better at stealing than
So we got to stop hoping for things we can see, man. I ain't got no problem with us talking about I got faith. You know, I, I got faith. I want a new car. I got faith for a car. Now you need to have faith for heaven. You can see a car. Get your credit right. You, you, you hoping. If you're hoping for the car, get your credit score to about 780. You know, about 720. You'll get a car. You'll get it up. You down there at 300 and you hoping? to get it up. Well, I need to tell you, you need to be hoping for a better credit score. Amen. I've been there, man. Dude, look at your credit score. Oh, yeah, you can get it. And guess what? Because your score is so good, your interest ain't going to be high. Well, I can get this for 1.5? Yeah. Give it to me. It's starting to realize that, Cliff. The same car somebody else got, they had to pay 5% interest on. Come on. So, so what I'm trying to tell you is that we got to stop putting our hope on things in this life only. Ain't nothing wrong with the things of this life, man, but you can't put your hope in them because you can't take them to the next life. So that's why he said to them, if our hope is in Christ only for this life, we are to be pitied more than anyone in the world. And that's shocking right there. So I'm glad I hope beyond cars and houses. I hope for things eternal. And I hope beyond the grave. I don't believe the grave is the end. Because later on in this same chapter, he says, you know, he asked the question, oh, death, where's your thing? Oh, grave, where is your? So he had the mindset that even in death, he was going to have a. And that's what I want to leave you with today. Because you believe in the resurrection, you got to believe even in death, you get a victory because your hope is beyond the grave. You ain't looking at the grave as your final stop. You're looking at the grave as transition to where you're on your way. You already know that this earth is not your home. You is here. You're a pilgrim. You're just here going through. You're traveling through this land. You ain't going to be here forever. But you're on your way to that place that Gloria was talking about, paradise. You're on your way to that place that you can't see with your natural eye. You're on your way there, but you can't allow your disbelief and your lack of hope and your lack of expectation to keep you from getting what God is trying to get you. I was talking to my grandson last night. I said, you know, I'm going to talk about this, this resurrection. You know, he's a youngster, too. You know, he's young. He and, uh, he, I say, do you think young folk going to buy this resurrection? What do you think about that? He will say, you know, there's something out there in physics, something called transfer of energy. I said, what, what is it? Transfer of energy. Yeah, you know, like, we all realize that we just matter, but there's an energy on the inside, and then when you die, that energy is going to be transferred somewhere. So that's how you see the resurrection. Yeah, I see it as transferring my energy from this body to somewhere. I said, if that's a cell for you, and a cell for anybody 21 years old, however you want to see it, 
long as you believe that there is a resurrection, I don't care how you wrap your mind around it, because if you're going to call yourself a Christian, you got to believe in the resurrection. So therefore, if your energy, when you give your last breath, if your energy transfer from you to eternity, let that be, let that be a time for praise. So I learned something from it last night. I don't know if that theory is true. The Bible don't give us a good, you know, indication, but it do say in a moment, in the twinkling of a, something going to happen. The dead going to rise, and we're not going to be in the same body that we're in now. We're going to have glorified body. So something going to happen. Energy going to come together and create, create something. And what it created, it don't make me no difference. As long as I know that my hope is in the resurrection. So that's all I dropped by the day to tell you. Your hope got to be in the resurrection. And I know we only celebrate it once a year in a big way, but every day you got to believe that this resurrection is real in order for you to share this gospel with someone else. Because if you don't have the courage and the faith to believe that it's real, you're going to be intimidated when you have to defend the hope that you believe in. It's important for us to see how important the resurrection is. Amen? Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. The resurrection is our hope. Our hope. And because of that, we have new life in Christ. You know, it goes on to say, Cliff, that the first Adam messed this thing up, and everybody died because of him. But the second Adam came along and got things right, and because he got up, we're going to get up. So we thank God for Jesus, amen? We thank God for his sacrifice. We thank God for all he took on because of us. But most of all, we thank God for raising him from the dead, amen? Every head bow and every eye closed. Every head bow and every eye closed. Got several appeals for you. My personal appeal is for salvation. Salvation. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have not seen him as the one who can save you and free, free you up from all your sin, your guilt, and all the things that you bring to the kingdom. He died so that you can be saved. Don't miss an opportunity to give your life to the Lord. Because I believe that even if you have a hard time believing everything in the Bible, your life will be better if you just follow the principles in the Bible. Your life will be better. So therefore, I believe having Jesus in your life will make your life better if you try to live in according to his principles and the things that he taught. So if that is you today, say, yes, Pastor, I want to develop that relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to make him the Savior of my life. I want to make him Lord. Please raise your hand if you're in the house, if you're online. I just ask that you give us a call here at the church, 850-862-3899. You can also send us an I message or an instant message uh, and let us know that you want to make a commitment to the Lord. And if you do that, we'll guarantee you that we'll get in touch with you, contact you, and do all we can to try to make sure that we seal the deal and have you baptized, identifying our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So if that is you and you want to give your life to Christ, please do so. Please do so at this time. Please raise your hand. I see no hands raised, and I take it that all have accepted Jesus or have some type of relationship with him. My second appeal is for, for church membership. If you're here and you're looking for a church home, and the Spirit of God is saying to you that striving for perfection ministries is the place for you. If you want to be a part of this ministry, even if you're online now, you can give us a call at that number. 
So if you're in the house, just please raise your hand. We'd love to have you in the body of Christ and be a part of this family. If that is you, please raise your hand. Please raise your hand. Please raise your hand. See no hands raised? Then my third appeal is for prayer time. It's our time for prayer, and I ask that you, as you sit at your seats, that you set your heart and mind on some things that you may want to lift up to the Lord for yourself because Jesus died on the cross and rent the veil of the temple so that you can have access to God for yourself. You no longer need a priest or a man to go through. You can call on him yourself. He is your heavenly father. You have access to him. And so right now, I just ask that you allow your spirit to speak to you, to reveal some things to you that you want to just carry before God. You may even just want to carry a praise report to the Lord, thanking him for some of the things he's done in your life. Or you may have a concern, a burden that you want to just lay at his feet. I just ask that you set your heart and mind on that right now. Listen to the spirit that's on the inside of you and be obedient. Even if you're not praying audibly, just pray and meditate on what you want God to do in your life. Believing that God already knows what you have need of, but he still expects us to come to him through prayer. Hallelujah. We believe that he's a prayer answering God because we believe that when the righteous crowd, the Lord hears them and answers their cry and answers their prayers. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God, speak to your people right now. Not more so, God, listen to them. Incline your ear down, God, to hear the cries of their heart. Whatever they may be going through, whatever their anxiety may be, whatever their praise may be, God, I just ask that you receive it right now, God. Receive it right now, God. Receive it right now, God. Receive it right now. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Father, we honor you and give you thanks on today. We thank you for your word that has gone forth, God, and we thank you for reminding us afresh of how important the resurrection is. And we thank you for Jesus being obedient all the way to death on the cross, even unto the resurrection of the dead. And God, I thank you for having him seated at your own right hand now as our intercessor and our faithful high priest. He's doing the things that he was required to do for us. Even though he finished his work here on earth, he's still working on our behalf in heaven. And so, Father, we thank you for counting us worthy enough to have your son to still advocate for us, even though he's not here on earth. We thank you for what you're going to do in the lives of your people in advance, God, because I know right now you're speaking to the hearts and minds of your people. And those who have prayer requests and prayer concerns, I pray that you will answer them, God, in your own way and in your own time. And I pray, God, that you will continue to minister to us even after this service is over. Speak to our hearts and minds in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise, if you will. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We thank God for, for you. We thank God for his word. And we just pray.